Blackout. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. I'm your humble host, David Vignola. This week, we are going to talk about four different types of compressors and their uses. And I'm going to tell you about the four most popular types of compressors, a little bit of backstory about them, and tell you, tell you where we would typically use them in a mix, where I would typically use them in a mix. This is an idea that came from one of our listeners. So thank you so much for sending in the idea. I thought this was a great topic. So sit back, relax, get yourself a cool drink, take yourself some notes here. A lot of information coming up this week. Again, four different types of compressors. What are they all about? How do we use them in the mix? What are my more favorite popular ones? We'll talk about it all right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This is episode number 35, and this week we're going to talk about the four most popular types of compressors and their uses. This came from an idea and actually an email that was written in. I've been asking every week now for several weeks about some of your ideas for future show episodes. And a lot of people have written in, which is great. And I continue to ask you to continue to flood me with ideas. Let me know what you want to know about. Some of the ideas that came in, we're going to use. This is one of them. Some of the ideas that came in, I think would make great videos for the Home Recording Made Easy YouTube channel, um, but maybe not going to be the best topic for a podcast episode, but that's okay. I want you to keep sending your ideas where I feel like I can convey the, the information in audio format here uh, to really help you, I'll do. And if the information really needs to be in a video, I'll use it for a video idea as well. So really, really help me. So I appreciate you writing in and giving me your ideas. The other thing we want to uh, talk about, if you like this podcast, please make sure you like, share, subscribe, give me the five-star review that really, really helps me help you. And again, stick around to the end of the episode because I want to tell you about a couple of uh, freebies I want to give away. Um, some new stuff coming up too, by the way. So check that out at the end of the episode. Um, and I think that's it. Okay, so let's talk about the four different types of compressors. So we talk about all these plugins and all these different compressors. And if you've been watching me for any length of time, especially if you have any of my Mixing Made Easy training courses, and if you've seen me do demonstrations on YouTube Live for live streaming, you'll know that I think of compressors um, in a different way than a lot of people, meaning that I don't think of compressors as, well, they just, they compress audio. Obviously, a compressor compresses audio. And depending on the type of compressor, the way the internals work and how they compress the audio is what we'll talk about today. But beyond that, I think of compressors also as some people will call them tone boxes. I don't like that phrase, but I've heard that used before, tone boxes or color boxes. But I do think of them as kind of an EQ in a way. They all have their own special EQ sonic characteristic. And when I'm choosing a compressor for a different situation in a mix, um, depending on a bunch of different factors, one of those factors being from an EQ point of view, if I want something to be a little bit brighter, I might use one type of a compressor. If I want something to be a little bit warmer, I might use another type of compressor. We'll talk a little bit about that today. So when we talk about compression, I want you to start thinking about compression, not just as a thing that actually compresses audio and reduces or controls dynamics, okay? I want you to think about also as tone 
Okay, tone. And maybe that's where tone boxes come from. Although I don't like the word tone box. I don't know why. It just sits with me the wrong way. But anyway, you know, I want you to think of it as tone because that is really what it is. It's not just compressing audio. Okay. And for more information about this, and if you want to learn more about compression and how to use it effectively, I mean, there are a ton of courses on the website. I mean, Compression Made Easy comes to mind. If you struggle with compression or confused by compression in any way, shape, or form, Compression Made Easy is a course you want to check out. And again, stick around till the end of the episode, and I'm going to give you some discounts uh, that you can use to pick up some of these courses. But if you also take a look at Mixing Made Easy Volume 1 or Mixing Made Easy Volume 2, or especially mixing with analog style plugins made easy, we'll really cover a lot of what we're going to talk about today. We talk heavily about compression and their uses and the different types and why we choose one over the other. Okay, so those are some things to think about. But let's talk about what we're here to talk about today, the four different types of compressors. So the first one I want to talk to you about is the FET compressor, the FET. Okay, FET or FET stands for, stands for Field Effect transistor. Okay. That's what it stands for. Those are a solid state design compressor. Okay. They typically will have the quickest or the fastest transient response. Okay. And it's kind of a go-to compressor that we use for things that are overly heavily trans transient sources, things like snare drums, kick drums, heavy duty electric guitars, or even a heavily strummed acoustic guitar, where the transients are very spiky and very heavy, a FET-style compressor is a good uh, choice because it can it has a quick transient response and will help tame those transients a little bit more effectively and faster than other types of compressors. Okay, typically a FET-style compressor will have an input and output, attacker release, and a ratio setting, typically. You may say, well, which one of the famous compressors are FET-style compressors? Well, the um, Universal Audio or 1176 is probably one of the more famous FET-style compressors um, used on millions of records on all different types of sources. They sound great on, you know, snare drums. They sound great on lead vocals. They sound great on kick drums. They sound great on acoustic guitar. Why? Because those are heavily transient elements that are very dynamic and because of the quick release or excuse me the quick attack times it controls the transient maybe a little bit better than some of the other compressors that we're going to talk about also the dbx 160s another famous style um fet style compressor the neve 33609 which is more of a master bus kind of a compressor the imperial labs distressor that's a famous one that people use for drums and drum buses and why because drums are very transient heavy Right, so that's a FET style compressor. Okay, FET style compressors I use all the time, all the time. You've seen me use them before, so that is probably I wouldn't say the most popular, but probably one that people know a lot. You know, they've heard FET, they heard FET. That's what it stands for, field effect transistor, and that's kind of what it's used for more times than not. Okay, the second type of compressor I want to talk to you about is a VCA, which is called a, which stands for voltage controlled amplifier VCA compressor. Um, it is kind of the most commonly used compressor, um, I suppose, or one of the most commonly used compressors. It normally, depending on the compressor type or the manufacturer or the plugin that you're looking at, it will typically have attack and release ratio thresholds and sometimes a knee control on it. Okay. The way it kind of works is by using those controls, you tell the internal VCA circuit the voltage controlled amplifier circuit, when to start compressing, how fast to compress and for how long and when to stop compressing, 
right? So using attack, release, and threshold kind of dictates all of that stuff, much like a FET style in the same way. Okay, the SSL bus compressor, the famous SSL bus compressor is a, is a VCA. API, Neve channel strips are typically VCA um, compressors. And they're quite often used on a master bus or group buses. Not all the time, but like they said, the SSL G-Series bus compressor, which is one of the most famous bus compressors on planet Earth, that's a VCA-type compressor, okay? Neve channel strips, any Neve channel strips will typically have a VCA in there. Depends on the model, but that's, that's pretty typical, okay? So that's what a VCA um, compressor does and where it's kind of used. Doesn't mean you can't use it on single sources, you certainly can, okay? So that's the second type of compressor. The third type of compressor I wanna to talk to you about is an optocompressor or optical compression. Okay, an optical compressor, the resistors are, are light dependent. The audio signal feeds the lighting element, such as an LED, which shines upon a light sensitive resistor. The resistance of the light sensitive element informs the compression circuit on how much and how quickly to, uh, to attenuate or compress the audio signal. So it's done with a light source, okay? So a light source, the audio, depending on how much audio signal is pushed into the light source circuit, the light will shine on the resistor and depending on how much light is being, uh, being picked up will depend on, will then dictate how quickly the compressor reacts and how long it holds onto the audio signal. Now, the thing about an optical compressor, it's a very basic design and it's got simple controls, okay? It tends to be very smooth sounding, an optical compressor. The most famous one is probably the LA-2A is an, is an optical compressor. On the LA-2A, you only have two knobs, a peak reduction and a gain. Peak reduction is how much compression that you want. The more you turn up the peak reduction, the more signals being driven into that light, to that light circuit, the more compression you're going to get. Really simple. And then you have a gain control to offset or to, to um, compensate for any volume drop that you get when you're over-compressing the signal, okay? Also, the, two the TubeTech CL1B is also an optical compressor. Now, because these have tubes and transformers, they also sound very warm. And if no compression is happening, you still get some effect, some audible effect in a subtle way because of the tubes and transformers, like an LA-2A. Okay, and LA-2A has tubes and transformers. So the, what do the tubes typically do? Tubes will typically have a nice smooth top end because when you drive signal into a tube, it tends to shave off the top end a little bit. Any real harsh signals will tend to be smoothed out a little bit. Okay, and they tend to have a warm sound to it. So if you have something that sounds a little brittle, a little sterile, like a tube style, an optical compressor can warm up the signal pretty, pretty nicely. And again, even if you're just running the signal through the unit, in through the input transformers, through the output transformers, and the peak reduction is on zero, meaning there's no real compression happening, or at least not enough to, to move the, the needle, you're still getting some of the benefit of that internal transformer in tube circuitry, even if it's in a plug-in format that emulates that stuff, okay? What's great about an optical compressor is they can also be hit pretty hard with audio dynamics in the, in the what can be hit hard, excuse me, it could be hit hard, meaning a lot of signal could be pushed into it and it won't be completely destroyed, the dynamics, okay? It's not like a FET style where if you hit it really hard, it squashes the transient 
you know, quite a bit very quickly. That's what a FET style will do. It'll tame that transient like we talked about a few seconds ago. An optical compressor, you can hit it as hard as a FET, if not harder, and it will retain more of that transient in the dynamics. Okay, that's why whenever we use like an LA-2A, we can drive it kind of hard and it doesn't sound like, you've heard me say before, it doesn't sound like it's being compressed. It just sounds good. That's because <clears throat> because you can push more audio into it and it just gives it that sound and it doesn't squash the daylights out of the dynamics. It's great on vocals. It's great on bass, right? LA-2As are, are great on bass, great on vocals, Okay. Sometimes you'll see people, and I've done this before too, where they'll actually combine two compressors, maybe a FET style and then an optical compressor to kind of tame the audio a little bit and then warm it up all at the same time. We'll talk a little bit about that in a bit, but those are the kinds of things, two different types of tools. Okay. They're also great on things like acoustic guitars. It could sound a little bit, depending on the acoustic guitar, how, excuse me, how it was mic'd up, you know. And all of that, if it was just, you know, sometimes people will record an acoustic guitar by just plugging in their pickup into an audio interface, which is like, oh my goodness, you can't get a more thin, metallic-y kind of a sound. An optical, optical style compressor can help salvage some of that a little bit. <clears throat> okay, so that's an optical compressor. Okay. The fourth one I want to talk to you about is a Verimu compressor. Okay. Very Mu compressor. The MU stands for gain. This is, these are tube-based compressors and usually has many tubes in them, okay? They offer the most color out of all the compressors typically because of all the tubes in there, okay? They're designed with warmer transformers and op than an optocompressor. So it has some of the same design as far as it's got transformers, it's got some tubes in it, but this has usually has a lot more tubes and it has a different type of transformer. It typically will have an input, a threshold, an attack and a release, a little bit more than like an LA-2A where it's only got two controls. And if you're using something like the Fairchild, which is probably the most famous of the very Mu compressors, and we'll talk a little bit about that specifically in a minute, that'll have something called a time constant setting, which has a predetermined set attack and release time, which can't be adjusted. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The thing about a very a very Mu compressor, like, like the, like the uh, 670, Fairchild, it's super smooth sounding, much more so than an LA-2A. Why? Because of all the different trans, the size of the transformers and the amount of tubes in them. They're great on vocals. They're great on overheads if you have very harsh cymbals, okay? Two of the more famous ones are the Fairchild 670 and the, manual, and the Manly Mu, okay? The MU stands for gain, by the way. Okay, so if you ever looked at something like a Fairchild, we've heard about a Fairchild. That's more common, right? We've heard about a Fairchild. A Fairchild is considered the holy grail of all the compressors in the hardware format. If a studio has a Fairchild in it, they're very lucky. Most studios don't have them unless they're big-time studios. A Fairchild today, if you tried to fetch a Fairchild in good working condition, would probably cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty to 40000 U.S. dollars. The reason for that is because just the it, the amount of circuitry, I think the original Fairchilds took up like, what is it, eight or 10 rack spaces. That's how big they are. And they have, you know, 20 some odd tubes in there, huge transformers in there. And they're just, they sound wonderful. I use Fairchilds on vocals all the time because they're smooth and they, they will, it's almost, it's almost kind of a, a running joke that, you can almost put anything through a Fairchild and it doesn't sound bad, right? Now, I wouldn't use a Fairchild on 
maybe a snare drum. That's but you could, but it's not really my first choice. But if you want something to sound smooth, if you want something to sound like it's not being compressed no matter how hard you hit it, if you want that kind of um, sound times 10 of an LA-2A, something like a Fairchild or a Manly Mew, MU is, is, is definitely um, the way to go, okay? And those are the four most basic types of compressors. And when we talk again about compression, we talk about compression as tone. These are four very different tools. It doesn't mean that, uh, for example, a FET style compressor can't be used on such and such an instrument because that's reserved for an LA two-way or something like that. That's not true. You can use all of these compressors I just talked to you about on any different element. It really doesn't matter. Um, depends on the source, how it was recorded, how it kind of blends into the track and what kind of sound you're going for. Every one of these four compressors compresses audio. The difference is how they compress the audio and therefore what is the final result in sound, in tone, okay? I recommend that if you're serious about mixing and you're beyond your stock plugins, right? If we're, if we're beyond that and we're talking about these kinds of compressors, then I would say you all should have an 1176 style in your collection. Do you need to have 10 of them by 10 different manufacturers like good old Uncle Dave here? <laughs> no. <laughs> but you need to have one. I don't care if it's by Waves. I don't care if it's by uh, Universal Audio. I don't care if it's by Plugin Alliance or IK Multimedia. It doesn't matter. But you want to have an 1176 style compressor, a FET style compressor, okay, in your collection, okay, for sure. You want to have an LA-2A style in your collection, for sure. They're completely different sounding, and they're two different tools for different jobs. Could you use either one of those tools for the same job? You could, but you'll get different results. And depending on what you want, they're different. They sound completely different. You should have those. You should have a Fairchild plugin in your collection. Without a shadow of a doubt, you should have a Fairchild in your collection. No doubt about that. You're going to use that, you know, more times than you think. It's a little, you know, you have to wrap your head around some of the controls, but it really isn't that hard. And I have YouTube channels on the, you know, YouTube videos to show you how to do that. But you want to have that. And then you want to have an opto compressor as well. You should have like an SSL bus compressor, or if you, you know, if you have a channel strip or something, you ought to have, a, a, not an opto, a VCA, excuse me. You ought to have a VCA compressor as well. You should have one of these, one of each of these in your collection, without a doubt, without a doubt. Now, when you get into something like the 1176, for example, well, there's plug-in manufacturers that make different versions of the 1176. The 1176 has a handful of versions of emulating old pieces of hardware that came out in different times and different, you know, different periods, different decades. So, for example, you'll have the 1176, the more famous one is the one that has the black faceplate. They call that the 1176, they call it the black face. And probably in today's world, that's probably in politically incorrect to say, but I don't mean it in any other way than it has a black front panel on it. Um, that's the more common one, okay? The next more common, the next co more, more common 1176 is the, is what they call the blue stripe. It's got a silver face with a blue stripe. And again, if you've watched any of my training courses where I've compared the two, you'll know that they sound different. The black panel 
is a little bit warmer sounding. The blue stripe tends to be a little bit more upper mids, a little bit more open sounding to me. So if I was gonna use that on a lead vocal, for example, and I had a very uh, high, pretty, you know, kind of shrilly in a way, maybe kind of a little DS sibilant lead vocal, female vocal, I may use that's very dynamic and I got to control the transient quite a bit. I might use an 1176, the black panel, because it's going to warm up her vocal. It's going to take some of that shrill off. It's going to, it's going to be very dynamic. If her vocal is very dynamic, very quiet on the verses and very loud on the choruses, you know, that kind of thing where the, where the vocalist is all over the place from a dynamic point of view, I might use the FET style, the 1176 to control that transient and to warm up the vocal a little bit. On the other hand, if it's a male vocal that's very got a very chesty, more of a low voice, and it's hard to get some top air, top end air, I might try an 1176 blue stripe instead of the black panel because it's not going to be as warm sounding. And if we already got a warm vocal to begin with, this might help open that up a little, little bit. Okay, something like that. Now, we talked a few minutes ago about where there could be times where I would use two compressors and put them in series, or some people will call them stacking compressors, one after the other. Let's go back to that female vocal for an example. So the female vocal is a real high, pretty ballad, and she's got kind of a sibilant and I want a beautiful voice, but maybe a little sterile sounding on the top end. Maybe it wasn't recorded with a great microphone. Maybe it was done in a home studio with kind of cheap uh, audio interface preamps with maybe a cheap microphone. And the vocal sounds good, but it's got kind of a sterile feeling. It's a little, little brittle on the top. And as I said, this particular vocalist dynamically is all over the place and I got to control the transient, just very transient heavy that I got to fix or control. So I may do two things. I may start off with that um, 1176 black panel and I might compress three to six dB just to control the transient. Yes, it'll help warm her vocal a little bit, but it's really because I want to control the transient first. I'm not so worried about the tone. I want to really control the performance so we don't have any transients that are poking through the mix that the vocals jumping out of the speakers and hitting you in the ears and distracting you. It's got to level out that performance. And then right after that, I might follow it up with something like a Fairchild or an LA two-way, but if it's a really kind of a sterile, kind of a brittle kind of a sound, I might use a Fairchild because the Fairchild, right, the Manly Mew, or the Fairchild, the uh, the the um, the uh, uh, the Very Mew. <laughs> excuse me, Manly Mew, the very Mew, the Fairchild, because of all the tubes and the transformers, that sounds extremely smooth and warm. And it's going to take that top end of that little bit of and that little bit of brittleness out of that vocal. It's going to warm it up a little bit. So you could use compressors in combination to kind of fix a problem, level out a performance and get all that stuff done. Okay, that's a way to do it. And to add that Fairchild or that 1176 flavor to the vocal. Okay, so that's another way you could do things like that. And again, there's millions of combinations of everything I just said. But the moral of the story here is, those are the four kinds of compressors. Should you have at least one of every one in your toolbox? Yes, you should. Then you should also really understand if you don't already or you're not sure or you're somewhat confused about 
Well, let's get beyond the thought process of just thinking about a compressor as controlling dynamics because it's more about tone and how you choose the compressors depending on what you're working on will have a huge impact on your final mix because again, it's an accumulative effect across several different tracks in the mix. You usually will use some compression on most of your tracks and you wanna be more strategic in the way you pick the kind of compressor that you're gonna use. That's where things like Compression Made Easy and some of the other training courses that I have takes you beyond, here's how we control the compression or the transient of a snare, and here's how we use attack, and here's how we use release, and here's how we use threshold. Yes, that's super important, but you wanna go beyond that to understand what these different types of compressors can do, how they can help you in a particular situation and then you'll get the most out of your plugins. So to buy these four types of compressors and not understand how to use them the most effective way is kind of a waste of money. You may as well just stick with your stock compressor. But if you're gonna get into having these four types of compressors, which I think you should, then you wanna understand how to use them the most effective way and you have to do lots of experimenting. And what you'll find over time with compression is that you will have different go-tos. You will develop a set of go-to plugins that you just like the way they sound. It's not right or wrong or different from any other mix, but it's just like, hey, this is what I like. You may like on a female vocal, the 1176 Blue Stripe combination with an LA-2A. You, that signal chain for you, in most cases, you may go, I love what it does to that to a female vocal most times, and I'm, I'm happy with the, with the end result. Well, that's your go-to, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it's a very common combination. It's also a very com a common combination to use an 1176 Black Panel with a Fairchild 670 or a Manly Avarimu. That's another, on a female vocal, that's another combination that will sound different than the first, but it's not right or wrong. It'll still sound great. It'll just sound different, and it depends what you like. But unless you understand compression at that level, then you really can't benefit from having these four, these four different types of compressors in your toolbox because you won't know when to use them or how to use them, <laughs> right? So I hope that all made sense to you and was helpful in some way. And so now let's talk about some of the things. Let me let me help you here. So again, we're talking about compression. I mentioned some of my training courses that can help you with the whole topic around compression. Compression Made Easy is one of them or any of the other courses. So what I wanna do for you, for all of our listeners, if you wanna learn more about compression, go out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com, take a look at Compression Made Easy. If you wanna learn more about these types of plugins, the 1176, the LA-2A, the Fairchild, all these other different types of compressors we're talking about, and you want to know how to use them in the most effective way, then I want you to check out the course Mixing When Analog Style Plugins Made Easy. You can get either one of those courses or any other course on my website at a 30% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST30. So that's the first thing I'm going to do for you. PODCAST30 will take 30% off any training course on the website but I would recommend those too. Compression Made Easy, Mixing with Analog Style, Plugins Made Easy. That will help you get your head wrapped around the concepts that I'm talking about here with compression, okay? And if you're someone brand new to this podcast and you've never been to homerecordingmadeeasy.com before, I wanna give you something in addition to the coupon code. Go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com, right on the homepage, click the orange button. I wanna give you a free mixing course worth about 50 bucks. It's my gift to you for 
just checking out homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And once you've gone through the free mixing course, if there's other training courses on the website you want to further your education, you can use the coupon code PODCAST30 to save yourself some money there. So I hope you enjoyed this episode on compression. Thank you so much to the listener that wrote in and gave me the suggestion. I hope it makes sense to you. Again, send your show ideas to info at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And if I can Im- incorporate your ideas into a podcast episode in the future, I absolutely will because I am here to try to help you to make this podcast the most effective for you. So until next week's podcast episode, my name's been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com and mixingmadeeasy.net. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you all next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>